0: This episode of Crosscut Talks is supported by Alaska Airlines.
1: Hey, welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Mark Baumgarten, the Managing Editor at Crosscut. And today we're talking about the arts and how the pandemic has challenged and ultimately transformed the organizations that connect audiences with artists. Before the pandemic, it was easy to take these kinds of things for granted. I know that in my burgeoning middle age i spent too many nights in when there was likely something transformative taking place on some stage in the city a dance a monologue a film but i did manage to make it out every once in a while and the kind of communal experiences that i had are what i miss most about life before covid and what i'm eager to return to as we tentatively begin to gather together again of course The spaces we return to will not be like they were before. Some of them won't be around anymore. And those that are, they will have been transformed by the pandemic in ways that the casual patron might not realize. And that's why today's conversation is so important. Because, yeah, it's about survival. But this is more about transformation. We have brought together the leaders of three organizations that are essential to the cultural life of Seattle. Vivian Hua of the Northwest Film Forum, Tim Lennon of Langston, and Aaron Johnson from the Velocity Dance Center. And because they are essential, I think, they have been finding a way forward through all this uncertainty. The moderator of the conversation, Crosscut Arts reporter Margot Van Singel, uses the word pivot in here. And she's almost apologetic when she says it. It's a word that is overused and kind of devoid of real meaning. But the guests have their own ways of talking about their shifts, about giving this moment of sustained weirdness meaning. Vivian from Northwest Film Forum has the best alternative to pivot, in my mind. She calls the changes at her organization Evolutions of Self-Exploration. I really like that. I'm going to use it. It's important to note here that this conversation took place in early May. Since then, pandemic restrictions have lifted in the state of Washington and some in-person events are taking place. Also, this conversation, which was part of the 2021 Crosscut Festival, is sponsored by Amazon. I hope you enjoy the talk. If you have any feedback, please send it to talks at crosscut.com. Okay, on with the show.
0: I wanna start off by taking us back to the spring of last year. Could you describe when you first realized that this virus thing was gonna be really serious, that it wasn't just a couple of weeks, that the arts and culture scene was gonna be shut down? What was your first thought
2: and what was the first thing you did? Erin, do you want to do you want to start? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we uh, had performances scheduled, and it was we started canceling shorter and then longer and longer and longer. Um, and artists, um, so much of dance is a, a live endeavor, and so um, ca- canceling that in person um, kind of connection was was a big blow to artists. And I think artists, they were like, "What is going on? What is my life?" and uh, for Velocity, we, um, we spend a lot of time in, in the same room together, rehearsing, performances, classes, and so our kind of offerings shifted basically overnight.
0: And Tim, what, what about you? How do you, can you, like, take us back to that moment? Do you remember how you were feeling and how yeah, much it in your head?
3: It was definitely the case of, uh, about a week's worth of total uncertainty from, from Hour to hour, um, not even day to day. I think March 11th we had um, uh, our monthly film screening made the black. Uh, we had uh, a screening and, and panel discussion scheduled. We canceled that probably two hours before showtime, three hours before showtime. Um, and by that was on a Wednesday, and by Friday we had canceled every canceled or postponed everything for the rest of the year. Uh, it was pretty pretty clear that it was happening. Um, was going to be for a while and so we, we had to pretty much clear the calendar. Um, and I think over the course of that, between the 11th and say the 16th or 17th, um, we were also in early talks with Ijioma Oluo about hosting an event to support her Seattle Artist Relief Fund. Um, our thought on on the 11th was we were going to do a big telethon style event. Um, every day the, the restrictions on gathering folks indoors were tightened more and more and so by a week later we scrapped any plans to do any sort of live event and then um at the same time agreed to take on all the administration work of the fund and so that was sure we'll get to that later but hugely transformational for our
1: organization Confusion.
0: Can, can you hear me all right? Um, yeah, we, you're, so, you're here. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how how you were thinking about what was happening at the Northwest Film Forum and, and what this would mean for the arts and culture scene and, and for the organization?
4: Well, we had, I'm sure like everyone, a fun uh, seesaw back and forth conversation about when do we close, when do we open? like um, And we had to cancel the second weekend of our children's film festival, Seattle. Uh, which afterwards we were like, "Oh my goodness, thank, thank goodness, because we would have been like all these little germ bombs walking around. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, we also had a festival happening the next weekend, and we just decided to basically move everything online uh, in a week rather than canceling it. and it ended up being a great move.
0: and um, as you all know, at the at the one year anniversary mark of the first bands on gatherings, um, we conducted a survey among more than a hundred local arts organizations and and many folks indicated that they were running low on cash, particularly because revenue, you know from events had dropped. does Does that reflect what happened at your organization, or was it different? Um, Vivian, do you want to start us off?
4: Um, well, certainly the revenue did drop in, in terms of earned income from screenings and events, obviously, um, but there was more than enough that made up for it um, in grants in very generous donors giving in new streams of income that we weren't really expecting to have participated in, um, such as like big virtual events and um, becoming a grant making organization all these kind of random things that came up um, that helped... Offset, I think, the
3: loss that we would have felt
4: otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. And Tim, how about you?
3: Yeah, for us, we were extremely fortunate going into the pandemic and, and the shutdown. Um, our organization was essentially created as a public-private partnership uh, and a very forward-thinking model uh, with the City of Seattle. So, long story short, we didn't have uh, we didn't have rent that we had to cover for the you know the, the closure time. Um, we have had not to that point been heavily reliant on earned income so ticket sales um, never covered the cost of, of any of our programs uh, which is kind of not uncommon across the board across the industry um but for us the the, the you know the period of march and april especially where so many of our peers were were really scrambling to figure out how to just keep the lights on and, and keep payroll um, we were thanks to, to the public private partnership we were not having to worry about rent we had, had enough um, savings that we could cover payroll which gave us the flexibility and freedom to start thinking really creatively about how we were going to live our mission um, in the absence of any kind of in-person program
0: and um, Aaron your last and and you know you and I talked earlier this year and back then so this was like a you know three, four months ago, that at the time, Velocity was running really, really low on cash. You obviously had to leave your space on Capitol Hill. Don't want to speak for you, but um, you know you were pinning your hopes on fundraising, government grants. Could you tell us a little bit about what the situation is like now for Velocity?
2: And are you on the lookout for a new home perhaps? Um, yeah. yeah um Yeah, we were, um, we were scrambling. We were, we were one of those, those folks. Um, Velocity operates on about uh, 60, 40 on a good day earned uh, to contributed. So 60% contributed 40% earned income. And all of our earned income streams were connected to space use. So whether that's uh, folks renting for rehearsals or for classes, Income uh, from in-person classes and uh, performances and events. So um, it was a, a pretty, pretty big, um, you know, rug out from underneath me few moments. Um, and we sustained uh, for a little while through. Uh, we we received uh, emergency funding through Arts Fund, and then also uh, a few kind of government um, emergency COVID grants. Uh, but looking, kind of into the future, into this year, it was unclear, you know, in December, when we were making the decision to leave our space, we didn't know when we would be coming back to it. And so if we were potentially looking at another year of not making any revenue off of the space, uh, it was just untenable. It was impossible to imagine. And uh, what would have had to happen is like canceling all programming, really going into like full on survival mode for the time that we were operating. And we just felt like we couldn't do that to the artists that we were working with. And and they were creatively coming up with strategies for for pivoting online and we wanted to support them in that. And uh, so that's really the the decision we made was to stick with the artists and to like pay the people who were uh, making the work still happen. Um, And uh, what that has allowed us to do is really dream about what it is we want from a space and what is we like maybe don't need from a a physical location. And uh, artists, dance artists especially, are really um, having so much ingenuity about how to use spaces, how to use different spaces. And they have been for a while, and this is just kind of an opportunity for Velocity to double down on that with them and to say, what is the space that you want your work to be within? How can we make that into the, the place where the art happens as opposed to being like, well, it has to happen at our venue because we're paying for it. So it, that's where it needs to go. Um, so that was, that's a really exciting thing. And um, I think space, uh, a new space is in the cards for Velocity in the future and we'll see um, what that is. And you mentioned kind of a, a couple of things that you
0: don't necessarily want, you know, in a space maybe. Are there any things that you are looking for
2: or things that you definitely are leaving behind? Well, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to think about partnership and to think about space sharing. And and I think like Tim and Langston, um, they have a really good example of like how to utilize the space that exists in the city um, to activate it with with art and programming. And so I'm hopeful about that um, in Velocity's future and. Uh, You know, there isn't a dedicated center for contemporary dance in Seattle, as there is with some, um, most of our major cities here in the US. And so maybe this is the time to do that. And I think, you know, I'm going to dream big because my community is and, and that's really exciting.
0: Okay, and uh, now I'm kind of hoping to talk a little bit about pivots. It, you know, some of us may be a little tired of hearing the term, but I'm still interested in, in hearing how your organization was able to adapt to the circumstances of the pandemic. What kind of emergency measures did you take? What was successful and what wasn't? And then a similar question, what do you plan to keep around and what kind of, of pivots do you hope to, uh, to never see again? Um, Tim, do you want to start us off?
3: yeah happy to um you know for for that first couple weeks in march um we really we were panicking we didn't know what we were going to do so much of the work of langston is really just just uh, centered on being in this historic building um with black audiences celebrating black art and so you know the idea for us of of translating that to something online was, was kind of a head-scratcher um i remember thinking like how are we going to compete with the entire history of recorded media that's available for free on the internet you know who's going to tune into our little show when, when they could watch Sidney Poitier do it or Paul Wilson do it um i got over that pretty quickly uh and all the credit is due to our program manager jasmine scott who um very wisely recognize that what we have that that nobody else on the internet has is our relationship to Seattle community, Seattle Black community specifically. Uh, so our first pivot into the you know online programming was a partnership with Wanawari, another amazing Black arts organization here in the Central District, um, doing a very very deep dive into the history of Seattle hip hop, uh, and so really creative program sort of taking inspiration from the, the just plethora of DJ, sh- DJ sets that sprung up on the internet in, in both the times. Um, we had two DJs in conversation with one another, each sort of exploring a different era of Seattle hip hop history, whether it's a uh, time period or a scene or certain kinds of MCs. Uh, and then folks who participated in those sections of the scene in dialogue over the music. And so it was very much like the people who were there who made, who made Seattle hip hop what it was, in this neighborhood, talking to one another. Um, we lived in the glory days in some cases, diving deep into some of the challenges of the, of the city locally. But it was all Seattle, it was all local, it was um, black artists telling their own stories. I mean, it's what we did in person and it's what we did online. And so it really resonated with folks uh, incredibly well. Um, taking inspiration from that, we continued to just build on existing programs, create new programs, um, we had to scramble to get this 100 year old uh former synagogue with 18 inch concrete walls uh up to snuff for streaming online um so there's a lot of investment in internet technology and infrastructure that, that we never really imagined we'd be doing um and then we went into we moved into the funding space we realized that without artists there's no reason for there to be arts organizations and so we put all of our energy and attention into making the Seattle Artists Relief really fun uh, the success that it was uh, and that meant essentially learning how to be a whole new kind of organization we were we were grantees and then we became grantors as a result of this and um, stunningly we became the largest individual funder of in, uh, the largest funder of individual artists in Washington State last year as a result of our efforts so really just trying to give back to the community um, the artists to refund was created by black artists we saw this as taking um the work that we do on our stage to a much bigger stage in the sense of um producing and, and presenting and, and co-creating with black artists an amazing feat of um cultural power and that certainly fit the bill for the sale artist's refund.
0: and and tim how do you look at creating community and being in community community with folks over, you know, through digital media. Did you feel like that, um, of course it doesn't replace it, but did that work for you? Do you do you feel like that was successful? And do you feel like um, that was something that, that worked for the organization? Absolutely,
3: yeah, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of our Seattle Black Film Festival, which is our biggest annual event. We just wrapped last week um, on this year's iteration, but we postponed it to July last year, made it all free and all online and didn't change the formatting of the programming too much um it's more or less the same concept but but delivered online and what we realized is that there were hundreds of folks who were able to tune in from renton auburn kent federal way um basically the central district diaspora folks who have been displaced from this community over the last couple of decades who in the before times um couldn't get to our venue just because of seattle traffic you know like coming to see a show in seattle from from federal way that's a commitment it's a heavy lift um and so we were able to reconnect with community to reach folks that weren't able to come join us in person in a really major way and although we last year's festival was free you could just log in and watch all the films whenever you wanted to um, we actually did better in terms of folks just donating to the festival to the organization uh, during the festival than we did in ticket sales the year prior uh, in so i think that the, the community's appetite for connecting, however they can connect, is always going to be there. And we were able to provide, you know, not our ideal situation. It, it's like the power of being in fellowship in this space with our community is unparalleled. But to be able to to get as close to that as possible through these computers um, really paid off.
0: And uh, speaking of virtual film festivals, Vivian, do you want to talk a little bit about how the Northwest Film Forum pivoted, and then I'd like to hear from 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 you and from other folks, what are some things that you don't, you know, when we go back to quote unquote normal, that you don't want to go back to, or things that you don't want to do, pivots that you want to leave in 2020-2021?
4: How much time you got, Margo? <laughs> um, so I think for pivoting, um, I spoke a little bit about just moving everything online really quickly. And that I think was just sort of, we didn't know how we would do it, but it's just like, we got to do it and made it happen as a result. Um, but I would say the, the other thing that I feel like we did well early on was sticking by our values of taking care of our staff. And um, everyone on staff before we found out how the pandemic was, was going to play out, we just decided we would keep everyone on staff rather than laying off people, which a lot of cinemas around the country did. Um, and so everyone on staff, including our leadership team, just went to halftime just to make sure everyone could stay on payroll. And then when PPP came through, then, then we could bring everyone up to full time. Um, but it was nice to see that I mean, not to say that this doesn't always happen, but that sticking by your values could pan out for the better. Um, And in that period, simply because we existed and we were the few that existed, um, it created a a lot of potential for opportunities, if that makes sense, because there weren't that many people who had capacity. Um, In terms of like long-term stuff, I would say like those are less pivots and more just like evolutions of self-exploration through the past year. Um, I think the racial reckonings definitely, um, you know, obviously brought up a lot of things, but in general, just thinking about equity in terms of like the bigger picture as well, not just race, but also accessibility has been a big thing for us because that has been a huge weak spot in our organization. And moving forward, um, just sort of being honest with ourselves about all the things that we are lacking Um, And not beating yourself up, because that's, you know, it happens, Um, but looking forward to the ways to use this time to change and adapt to be better by the time we do open.
0: And and Vivian, you talk about accessibility, and and I'm hoping you could just um, give the folks who, who are, you don't have a background in arts, who don't have a background in arts, what does that mean when you say accessibility, and how did you find out that that's something you could work on during the pandemic?
4: Yeah, I think, um, you know, disability justice has had a bit of a moment during the pandemic just because everyone all of a sudden is even aware of the very basic thing of, oh, your streams should have captions or maybe signing. Um, And those aren't, like, super advanced, and there's so many other ways to look at um, disability justice. For instance, we have, like, assisted audio recordings in our physical space, but we don't advertise it, and that's one of the main things, like saying upfront what you do have so that people who are in need of it don't need to um, ask for it or know that, that it's welcoming to begin with. So just more of those types of practices. And again, we're still learning, um, but we're doing like, we're just learning as a group and, and thinking about it as a group and dedicating resources to it when we reopen.
0: And then, Erin, I, I want to get to you, too, and, and to Velocity um, in terms of pivots, things you want to leave in 2020, 2021, things you want to keep doing. Um, talk to me a little bit about what Velocity uh, has been doing.
2: Well, we moved all of our classes online, and I, I feel like you haven't lived until you've taken an online dance class. I, I like it's—it's it's definitely a unique experience. Um, it's like freeing because you get to move around your house, and and it's also like you're in a teeny tiny space, and you might knock over the lamp. So, I, I love it, and I also am really excited to be dancing in person um, together. It's really uh, solidified my my personal, and also I think Velocity's like love of in-person live experience like there is something that is created that is greater than than all of the sums of us separately when you're in space together and that that has really become abundantly clear Um, i'm ready to let go of uh, some of the zoom meetings on my schedule and i think some of the artists that i work with are, are looking forward to that to getting together and being able to collaborate with each other some people have continued to create dance Virtually in their homes, which is like an incredible lift um, to to completely shift perspective and to make the frame of your work become a a screen as opposed to a live performance is like a a big step for a, a, a like in person performance artist to take, and so. I'm excited to to let people who want to do that continue to develop that and to let people who don't want to do that to like not have to do that anymore to be able to um, be expressive in person again. Um, Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, And kind
0: of going back to something that perhaps we discussed a little bit before, but basically, you know, with this survey that CrossCut did found was that a lot of organizations were saying like, oh, we're running, you know, low on cash, but there's a huge asterisk that comes with that because that was the case even before COVID, right? Just really thin margins. Um, And and with that in mind, could you talk a little bit about how um, you were able to bring in funds, you know, money in the past year? Um, and we've just touched on it briefly, but talk a little bit more about how that worked, how you do, how you do that.
4: I would say, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say, I think we're really fortunate in a lot of ways to be in Washington state. There's a lot of relief funds, um, available, relatively speaking to a lot of other States. Um, so for us, that was a big source of, money. And then the other one that was like a totally amazing thing was Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie did a random fundraiser for us, which was quadruple matched, And that was like nuts. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Quadruple match, if anyone can get it.
3: (laughs) Aaron, do you want to... uh
2: yeah i mean we we went for all of the COVID relief Uh, we did two rounds of ppp we've applied for the shuttered venues uh, operators grants um we've uh received money from arts fund and from other foundations um our existing foundations are supporting we're um we're in a, a a kind of a size of organization where a lot of our funding is like um you know, under 10K uh, per gift. And so it's really piecemeal. It's like putting it all together, you know, patchwork style. And so I think that was what we continued to do um, in this case.
3: Yeah, and for us, um, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a slightly different story. Um, we, and, and this certainly came out in our conversations, around Your article, Margot. Um, we, we did really well last year um, by, by all metrics. And I think that a lot of that had to do with starting off in a really good position. You know, we, we have this public-private partnership, so we we were, you know, our overhead was a little bit lower going into the pandemic than a lot of our peers. But more importantly, um, we threw all of our resources into supporting the broader ecosystem um, through Artists for Refund, through the programs that we continued to, to run virtually, um, ensuring that we were continually paying black artists for work, um, giving them Know, reasons to stick around in town and, and continue to create whenever possible and however possible. Um, but with, with the relief fund, especially, we gained a level of exposure with donors and funders and foundations that we were hoping to get to many years from now. You know, we were just embarking on our journey to to create a whole you know, development program within our organization in 2019, and. You know, the, the hope was that we'd be able to co-call some of these folks and they might return our calls in a couple of years. Um, but they were calling us. They are saying, like, wow, we just saw what you guys are doing with the relief fund. How can we get to that? And critically, once they got to know our organization through the opportunity to support individual artists, a lot of donors and funders really liked what they saw of our regular programming and became donors of our organization. And so I think at the end of the year, we came out um, well ahead of what, where we had hoped to be pre-pandemic uh, for 2020 and i think that's a direct result of us showing up and showing up strong um, for the broader you know washington artists community
0: and and that's kind of an extraordinary situation i guess to be in in a sense or or, or more unique um, and, and this is maybe related a little bit to uh, something that we found in the survey, which was that um, the Black Lives Matter movement prompted um, donations to Black-led arts organizations. And, and I'm, I'm curious, um, to how do you see that moving forward? And then a question kind of related to that, what, what other impacts of the Black Lives Matter movement have you seen on the cultural scene and, and do you see kind of going forward?
3: Yeah, there's, there's so much there. Like, like we've been said, how much, how much time do you got? Um, I do want to say that, um, yes, like our organization definitely benefited in some, in some ways from that. Um, I, I don't know, like we internally among other, you know, entities of of black arts organizations, we just kind of scratched our heads and we don't really know how long this is going to last. Um, funders are notoriously fickle and they, they change their minds about what, what they're going to be contributing to at the drop of a hat. Um, and it, there's something awful, um, there's something awful about, you know, this this sort of influx of cash following the the murders of our and sisters at the hands of the government. And so um, that's a weird one, that's, that one's fraught. I do want to say, though, that certainly in Seattle, there were a number of other organizations that rose to the occasion to support the protesters, to support the folks who are out on the streets. Um, and I want to give a special shout out to Vivian and the Film Forum, also to some other uh, other local businesses and organizations in the kind of, you know, CHAS-CHOP region. Um, you know, we, we heard a lot of statements, equity statements, and, and like, um, we're all in this together statements for the pandemic and, and where, you know, racism is bad for, in light of George Floyd's murder from a lot of large organizations and businesses. Um, but um, companies like uh, Vermillion, organizations like Northwest Film Forum, collectives like Bluecomb Studios actually showed up for folks in the streets. Um, they, were, they were putting their resources in service of community in a way that was truly inspirational. And So um, hopefully they benefited as, as much as they benefited the community in that regard, but it was very inspiring to me to see a lot of organizations, not non-black organizations, Really giving 110% to the service to community. And I think that long term, that's where I take inspiration, and that's where I think we're going to be better off as a sector Is organizations like mine, organizations like Vivian's, and so many others that put everything aside uh, and found new ways to live our missions in service to what community needed at that moment um, are the future of this industry and this sector. And hopefully, our peers and larger arts organizations can take a lesson from that.
0: I wanted to see if anyone else on, on, on the panel wanted to um, add anything to to what Tim had said just said, or if there's any any thoughts that you might have on you know the impact of Black Lives Matter on the local arts scene and um, and and what that might look like also going forward.
4: Yeah, I um, would love to speak to just the Black Lives Matter and the ripple out like long term effects of organizations having to deal with racial equity in their organizations by being uh, brought to the mat, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I, I just think in general, the time for speech mm-hmm. is over and uh, the time for action is now and that people aren't really going to get away with just saying the words anymore.
0: You're here. Um, I just wanna make sure that I get one more question in Mm -hmm. before we have to uh, get to the audience questions. Um, You know, we've titled this panel, this is just intermission. And and what I'm wondering, this can be whatever you want it to be in terms of an answer, but I'm wondering what do you hope will happen when the curtain goes back up? In what way do you hope things will look look and operate differently? Vivian, do you wanna start?
4: Sorry. Yeah, I know we had some questions. Um, we didn't get to it yet, but talking about space, that's the big thing. We need space um, and we need people who know how to navigate the challenges of space to step up and assist um, because not most of us in arts organizations don't know that field, don't know what we're doing, don't know the opportunities that are available. Um, and really, if we're gonna keep arts and culture in Seattle long-term, Space is such a huge part of it,
0: and and what might be some things that 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 you are hope that you hope that will happen in the next you know as we look towards recovery that you hope will happen so that people and arts organizations and artists can afford uh, a space in Seattle.
4: Yeah, so the city of Seattle um, yeah. of Arts and Culture helps spearhead the PDA, Cultural Space Agency PDA, and the goal is that it can help fundraise to be able to help purchase cultural space. But the problem is that without a project identified, I've heard that it is difficult to fundraise. And I kind of wish that the vision itself of being able to purchase space, cultural space, regardless of whether it's been identified or not, because that's just so far long down the road of a process. I wish that people could invest in just the vision of a PDA and this thing, this entity, hoping to purchase art space for the betterment of the community, rather than waiting for the details? Why are we waiting for the details? I think the idea needs to be funded.
3: Yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. i I'm, I'm, been working on the Cultural Space Agency with a lot of folks in the community for the last few years, and it's a really powerful tool and I think it's one that will, um, both in terms of housing and in terms of, you uh, Commercial space for nonprofits, for small businesses in the, the creative space, um, will be a game changer and, and will enable us to push back on a lot of the gentrification and, and just the, the ridiculous nature of Seattle real estate. I mean, it's it's hard for any culture business to survive in this town, um, given the way land use, tax code, um, speculative investment has shaped this city for centuries uh, or a century and a half. Um, this is the first chance that we have to really um, do something a little bit different. I'm really excited about that. To your question, Margo, you. we're going to go to q and I understand, but I'd, I'd like okay. to um, see more more people of color in leadership uh, at all levels yes. of management in all arts organizations. I think there's a lot of organizations that have taken enough trainings and enough, uh, you know, workshops and hired enough consultants over the last couple of decades that they really need to show and prove at this point.
1: We'll be back with more after this.
0: Dreaming of a long-awaited vacation? Take your travels to the next level with Alaska Airlines. They're committed to providing a higher standard of safety and cleanliness throughout your journey. From mask requirements and touch-free options to HEPA filters on board and fresh air every two to three minutes. Plus, their award-winning loyalty program, Mileage Plan, makes it easy to earn and redeem miles wherever you go including destinations worldwide, thanks to their One World Alliance membership. If you're ready to land a low fare, next level care, and the best experience in the air, book now at alaskaair.com. Okay, I wanna make sure that we get to some of the audience questions before we run out of time. Um, And I'm gonna start with the first one here on my screen. Um, What more can I do to support the arts, but you know, the, the audience? So we talked about a little bit city level, um, funding. And so what can individuals do to support the arts?
2: Erin, do you want to start off? I mean, I think just continue to come, like, continue to come see new work specifically, like take a risk, like pick something you've never gone to before and give it a try, like go to a place you've never been. Because uh, these like small, um, organizations are like putting a lot of money into helping artists create new work, and we just need them to feel the love. Like, we need them to feel like people are coming and caring about the work that they're doing.
3: Yeah, I would say, um, as audiences and and patrons, the the best thing folks can do is to show up first and foremost, um, see new work, see see stuff by local artists. Also, talk to the large institutions that are presenting artists. Um, You know, there was so much talk last year about how we're going to come back better and and boost equity and and you know love our various communities um, when those national touring acts come back. And find out why they're in the music space. Find out why there aren't local openers um, when we have you know these big Broadway productions coming to our theaters. Um, find out what they're doing to work with local actors and, and local stage technicians. You know, like make sure that the local artists and local culture workers are as supported by the, the big institutions across, you know, all of arts and culture, um, as those big institutions were relying on us as a community to support them through this stuff.
0: Vivian, I'm curious if you have anything uh, to add to that.
4: Uh, I agree with all that, and I would also just say, um, you know, people have various kinds of access uh, uh, accessibility to different uh, communities and also skill sets. Uh, We in the arts community have specific skill sets and there are others we need. And if you are someone who believes in the arts and have a background in law or real estate or tech, any of these things are all very useful. And if you care about any of these organizations, we would love to talk to you, I'm sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Then I have another audience question, which is if you had a do-over, is there anything that you do differently and how you've had to pivot over this last year? I know, looking back can be a little traumatic at times, but, um... I'm not um, a regret
4: person. (laughs) No No regrets, regrets, Vivian? Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, every day was like a whole new world. And, um, you know, we all made the best decisions we could with the information we had at any given time. So, I mean, beyond raise more money to help more people, hire more artists, Find, find the money to, to pay more artists to do their thing or to not do their thing. It's a really hard time for artists to get into the headspace that we can create. So take care of more people, but we did we did we could, so no regrets on that Mhm.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think uh, Velocity, if I could wave a magic wand, it would be to, um, have left the space sooner, just uh, to to move those resources into it into artists sooner. I think, you know, it's it was like a balancing act, and I obviously couldn't have done it any different. But if I could go back, that's what I would do.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to ask one final question, and and that's what do you think will be the the lasting impacts of the pandemic on the art scene? It's a huge question, but I'm curious as to uh, what you all think.
3: I think optimistically, um, which is not characteristic for me, um, this last year—I mean, this what is it like—a sixteen-month year at this point. Um, we, as a as a field, um, there's no there's no more room for excuses. All of the crazy ideas, all of the the risky moves that we considered taking, um, when when the old normal went away, there was no excuse not to try those things. Um, there's no excuse not to actually diversify your organization. No excuse not to close up shop and ship those resources to better serve your community. Um, creative and in, not interpretations, but creative manifestations of our mission statements, um, was what got us through th- these times. And I think that we, we got so stuck on the way we were supposed to do things. That this year, and freed us of that, you know, we were able to just try to do the right thing uh, at every opportunity and that meant doing things differently than we were able to do it before and hopefully that um, the reward, risk, risk reward um calculus going forward will be shifted so that we we don't feel that inertia that it's like not changing we've always done in a certain way like no one's done anything the regular way for the last 18 you know the last year and a half um let's keep it that way i hope the lasting impact is that folks who did try new things and succeeded, will be able to inspire other folks to continue to try new things.
0: Okay. Uh, Erin or Vivian, do you you want to add anything to that?
2: I think it just became clear that we have more resources than we thought we did in some ways and that like if we we reach out to each other, there was like a renewed investment and like, yeah, let's make this work. Like, what do I have? What do you have? Let's do it. And I am really excited to bring that forward into the possibility of of being in person too.
4: I think this uh, panel maybe speaks to it. I think it's not decided yet. I think what the impact is has not been fully written and that we're still in the thick of it and that we should be still actively working towards finding the outcome that we want to see, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a nice wrap up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, And so unfortunately, we're we're out of time. And I want to thank you all so much for a great conversation. Really appreciate you being here. Um, Thanks so much. Thank
2: Thank you. you. Yeah, thank you.
1: And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Vivian, Tim, Aaron and Margo for the talk. And thanks also to the folks in the audience who asked questions. If you'd like to be one of those audience members for a future CrossCut event, go to CrossCut.com slash events. This episode of CrossCut Talks was engineered by Seth Halloran. The live recording was engineered by Rusty Bacall and Victoria Ralph. And the event was produced by Jake Newman and Andrea Omira. And Chris Novich and Mo Cloud managed our audience engagement. If you'd like to subscribe to Crosscut Talks, you can do just that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit Crosscut.com. And if you would like to support the work that we do at Crosscut, whether it's the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to Crosscut.com slash donate. Crosscut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Mark Bumgarten. We'll be back soon with another conversation.